right, everyone. Good evening. Welcome. Welcome to Monday night, Parsh in my life. Um, this class is available for dedication. Anybody that wants to dedicate it, please let us know. Thank you. You can gain the the um, the credit retroactively. And that's a big schus. Okay. Well, this was a class that I really gave this past Shabbos. Uh, on Shabbos afternoon, Shabbos Agadol, you were supposed to give a talk. I gave a talk over here in Shul. And um, it was, I got the feedback from people that it was very meaningful to them and very inspirational. But being that it was Shabbos, it's not recorded. So I wanted to um, get that down on a record, on a recording, on a video. So here we are. It's going to be a redo of the Shabbos here. The only difference is that on Shabbos I had a room full of people, so there was an extra energy. And now I'm sitting here alone, although I know there might be some people on the audience, on the live audience. So let's see how that will go down. And um, so the name of the class is The Emotions of the Motions. On Pesach by night, we're going to go through a lot of motions, a lot of details. We'll go through a Seder. The Seder has 15 signposts, 15 directions in which we're supposed to follow and uh, guides us to, takes us through the Seder. Each one has so much boundless and boundless meaning. Um, uh, you know, if there's anything you want to study in Judaism and you want to get insight, the Pesach Seder, the Passover Seder, is something that is most accessible, most uh, um, analyzed, most studied, most discussed, and most learned. There are so many Haggadahs, which means uh, Passover, Pesach Haggadahs. The only thing is that because pre-Pesach preparation is so busy, there's so much things to do that, um, and then today in general we have hectic lives, but we don't really have the time to sit down before and to really go through it. We really should do that. If you have full time before Pesach, take a couple of hours and do your own. Every year you can have a complete higher, deeper, and different experience than the year before because there is so much multiple meaning to everything we do. So you can always enrich yourself by just grabbing a new Haggadah from some other commentator and gain the insight. Now, for those who don't have that much time and you'll be doing chores, Perhaps we can do a little bit in this class. You can catch you up a little bit. This is in addition to the three classes I gave discussing the Exodus in general. Um, exploring the Exodus that we just had given over the last three weeks. Let's do one particularly focusing on the Seder. And what I want to do over here is exactly the emotions of the motions, which means to try to give us uh, some kind of meditations that you can you know, meditate a little bit, give yourself some mindfulness to the stuff that you're doing. And as a result of that, you can feel elevated by the Seder. You can tune into something higher, deeper, and, in and, and, and not just being a, a ritual, a mechanical ritual, but a deeper experience in which you feel, you feel you're being uplifted. Now, emotions in general and uncovering our emotions or revealing our emotions, we really are filled with emotions because we have a soul with holy emotions. And our soul has an, uh, is, is naturally in love with God, naturally in awe with God. 
problem is that, that those emotions are buried deep, 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 deep in the subconscious of the person. As long as our focus, our mental focus, is on the material aspect of life, the physical aspect of life, which most of us are. And if one doesn't pay, um, do diligent work in order to focus mentally on the spiritual and on the godly, then uh, most of the time those emotions go unnoticed, untapped. Definitely they're not revealed. Um, now, sometimes even if we try, the emotions are stuck. That's part of the meaning of going out of Egypt. On a spiritual level, we know that going out of Egypt was not just an experience of the past. It's an ongoing experience. We say it in the Agada, every generation has to see it themselves as if they are going out of Egypt. That means to each and every one of us, we are literally leaving the bondage of Egypt. Part of that experience is the release of our emotions, the ability to be able to feel, to feel a godly feeling, to feel to Pesach by night, to experience ourselves as a spiritual soul, not as a material body. As a spiritual soul sent down in a body to, to um, utilize the physical body and to manifest godliness within the physical through the medium of the physical body. But that our identity can connect to our soul. We're a higher being. And the fact that we can feel ourselves that way, that means going out of Egypt. Egypt sometimes is referred to as the confinement of the body, the constriction of the body. More particular, in addition to its general meaning that the soul in general, the spiritual soul, the godly soul, is imprisoned by the husk, by the external husk of the body, there is something deeper in particularly relating to the, to the, to the emotions. As we discussed on the Thursday night class that we learned last week, it was only the first part of this discourse, in which we discuss the idea of the Altar Rebbe, Rebbe Zalman of Liyadi explains of Adam Ayino, the Parim Mitzrayim, that we were servants, the Parim Mitzrayim, who is the we, it's primarily referring to the emotional strata of the human being. Because B'nai Yisrael, as he explains over there, the children of Israel, are a derivative of the spiritual Israel. And the spiritual Israel is a derivative of the divine Israel. Hashem himself, there is a configuration of spherot, of attributes that are called Yisrael. And who is that? Those are the six divine emotions above, particularly Teferis, which is the center emotion, but it really includes all the six emotions. They're called Yisrael. And the meaning of, of, of Yitzias Mitzrayim is, or let's first understand before that, before you get to Yitzias Mitzrayim, which means the exodus of Egypt. First, we have to discuss what means being in Egypt. Golos Mitzrayim. So he explains over there that Golos Mitzrayim means that there was a certain element of the divine that couldn't be expressed. And what was that? The divine emotions were in a state of a fetus, in a fetal state. This was a new, a whole new revelation of a divine being that was going to be born. And that is the Torah. The Torah is God manifesting himself through through his intelligence and through his emotions which make up an entire person so the torah is called adam it's called man it's the higher deeper man of god as he's manifesting to the world that deeper manifestation and that deeper re revelation of a higher deeper divine being 
and a much deeper level of divine emotions, much higher than that which was, which was revealed at creation. Because in creation itself, God also reveals himself through his intelligence and his emotions. But the intelligence and the emotions that God emanated and, and, and expressed in the time of the creation is considered superficial and external in comparison to the deep, deep level of intelligence and emotions that God was conveying by the giving of the Torah. Now, every time a person is, comes into being, a person it, it, it emerges from non-being, the birth of a human being, it starts off at, with a pregnancy. And that's the concept of exile. Exile is never just an a, a end to itself. Exile is a passageway, an introduction. When, when the world is in exile, when the Jewish people are in exile, it is, it is, it, 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 that itself is the greatest it's very good news. What's the good news? It's good news that a baby is, a, is, an, is, is in the process. Something is going to be born. The exile is the early stages of this new being coming in. In other words, whenever there is going to be a new manifestation of God, a new manifestation of spirituality, a whole new level is going to be revealed to the universe, and that comes in the form of a being in this case, it was the birth of the Jewish people and the birth of the Torah. Manifested as two things. The Jewish people were being born as a nation in the world and the birth of the Torah. These two elements. Now, both of them are really intertwined as one. They were both in a state of, in a state of um, pregnancy, in a, in a state of, in a fetal, in a fetal state. Now, um, as he explains over there, primarily the main blockage was to the birth of the emotions. What needed to be born are the six emotions, which also make, which are the 600,000 Jewish souls, make up the bulk of Israel, the amount of Jews that were standing at Sinai, at least the men of tw from the age 20 and up, which represented the, 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 the skeleton, so to speak, of all souls. It was these 600,000 root souls. And also in Torah, there are the six orders of the Mishnah, which, which they are, in essence, the configuration of the six divine emotions. So until the giving of the Torah, this wasn't yet, it wasn't manifest, it wasn't revealed. And the same as the Jewish people were in here until we came out of Egypt. So in order for these emotions to come out, this power to come out into the world, it first was in a, in a fetal state. Now, where are the emotions when they are in a fetal state? Where are they? They exist in the mind because emotions are born out of the mind. When a person has a, 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 uh, an understanding, an appreciation, a mental um, appreciation, an intellectual appreciation of a certain phenomenon, of a certain idea, of a certain object, of a certain teaching, of a certain uh, person, whatever it is, um, you have that knowledge in your mind. So once you have a thorough and good understanding, which leads to some kind of an appreciation, which means that whatever you're appreciating means you're appreciating that it has significance and enormous value. So if you have something that has great value and you can perhaps have access to it and get closer to it and therefore benefit from it, not just benefit, but enhance yourself or elevate yourself in ways that are just unimaginable, of course you get excited. 
the excitement are the emotions. But in the initial stages of the excitement, the excitement is still in the head. It means initially when you're, start, when you're getting informed about something, the excitement is not, is, excitement is not visible, is not experienced. And the truth is it's not even desirable. Because if you have an excitement immediately, then it will not allow you to get to know whatever you need to know. You first have to know it objectively so it can enter into your sphere of, of, of consciousness in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a true manner. You can get the full truth of it. If you're so excited about it, then you're not even able to look at it because you're just thinking about how excited you are about it. So that's not good. It's premature. It's good to be excited because that's what drives us to really do whatever it takes to connect, to attach, and therefore to perceive whatever it is that we need to perceive or get. But immediately, if we have an immediate overwhelming excitement, no good. So therefore, the excitement has to first be it has to be in a, in a, in a silent state, in, an, in, an un, in a non-expressed state, although it is there. As soon as you begin to have whatever type of appreciation, there is a very subtle excitement that's taking place, but it's an excitement of the mind. It's not yet an excitement of the heart. When the emotion, however, once you have the, these, the, this, the, a full-fledged idea, you have a, 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 a already a complete concept, a complete understanding, a true understanding, a, a, a wholesome understanding of whatever it is, and now the, 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 the silent emotion has, has fully developed because it has on what to base itself, and the emotion is already a, a, already a, a reality. There is already an excitement. When we say excitement, it's more like a conviction of the mind that you ought to be excited. That kind of feeling. It's a very subtle type of a feeling of an excitement. It's an excitement in the head. It's more like an intellectual excitement, not an emotional excitement, which is really, you know, intellect is calm. Emotions are excited. But when the intellect is creating an emotion, like a mother creates the child, so within the intellect is embedded an emotion, which means it's embedded in excitement. So then after that, the excitement is, comes out of the idea and the, and, and the emotion is fully born. And it's born and that's when it comes in the heart. And that's when you really, really feel your blood. You know, there is a gush. There is an intensity. Uh, your heart is beating faster with excitement. You're, you're, you feel an urgency, a push inside of you to, 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 uh, to reach for whatever it is that you want to reach for, whatever you want to get close to. And that's where emotions take over. And the emotion is born into the heart. So initially the emotions are in the head. Then they have to come down to the heart. So the, the condition of Egypt is a condition where the emotions are not, for whatever reason, not able to come forth. Like we find, sadly, in our own spiritual lives, that we study and study and study and learn and learn and become familiar with so much spiritual idea. So if we are just a beginner, as we know people that sometimes you know, begin their journey, people that hit this class uh, or other classes for the first time or so, and you hear these phenomenal concepts, mind-blowing concepts, then you can your emotions sometimes you know go out of whack immediately, like so overtaken by these powerful ideas that are shared, these deep mystical ideas. They're so incredible, and they call for 
intense emotions and you can experience something really, really, really powerful and really strong. But if you're studying this already long, long times, much and much, and it's not that it's not exciting, it's always new, there's always fresh information, there's always deeper understanding, but we all un uh, know the condition where we know we ought to be so excited about God, we all know we ought to be so excited about being able to serve him, we know we ought to be so crazy excited about the ability to study Torah or do a mitzvah, and we, we should be like mad with, with, with excitement when we are doing it, Yet we find that it doesn't always happen. We find a lot of times that the excitement doesn't, doesn't really emerge. It kind of gets lost in the head. But we learned on Thursday night, that's, that's the exile. The baby, the emotions are stuck in the bina. They're stuck in the head. And that's because of the neck. The neck does not allow. We spoke about paro. Paro is the letters, same letters in Hebrew of the neck. He does not allow the Jews out of Mitzrayim which means the time has come for the emotions to shoot forth and the emotions, the divine emotions could not come out from their source. And that caused down here below that the physical Jewish people could not come out from the constrictions of, of power, from Egypt. So what was the idea of redemption? The idea of redemption is that the emotions come forth. So what is, what is going to mean? What does that mean in our own lives? When the Redeemer is here, when Moshiach is here fully, and the Geula is here, the full redemption is here, what's going to happen to us? I'm not talking about what happens in the world at large. But what's going to happen to us personally? What's going to happen to us personally is we're going to experience an overwhelming, unbelievable intensity of emotion. So much so that we're really not going to know what to do with ourselves. Because it's going to be so overwhelming. Because... All the, 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 the excitements that we've ever had, that we sometimes think it was a missed opportunity. Like I, I, I learned, I studied, the concept was like so thrilling and exhilarating in my mind, but I, you know, I, I kind of got lost before it got to my heart. And then, and then it's like, where did it go? So we think it, it's not, but it's deposited. All these, let's call them, all these babies, all these fetuses, unborn fetuses, exist somewhere in our head. And the only reason they haven't been born is because we're in exile. And emotions are just not, not available to us. We don't have the capacity to experience spiritual emotions in the same way like we have the capacity to experience excitement towards material things. Spirituality comes on much, much harder. Maybe we experience once in a while a little bit, but really we don't really have the capacity to experience the intense emotions that we should. When Mashiach will come, it suddenly will gush forth a thousand, ten thousand babies. A million babies will be born. We won't believe it. How many powerful emotions will come out in terms of how we are really feeling about our relationship with God? So much so that we are going to be weeping because we won't know what to do with the intensity of all these emotions that are suddenly pouring out. We wouldn't believe it that it's really our heart. We're not going to believe our heart had so much, or our minds were containing so much and hiding from our heart all these excitements that we really should be having and could have. But now we merited that it did come out. So if that's the case, and that's what redemption means on some level, the redemption of the emotion, so 
we should practice that at least on Pesach by night. And if there ever is a time in Judaism where you can connect to your emotions and, and feel something, well, this should be the night. Because it's the night of exodus, the night of exiting. Things that are deeply bottled up are able to, to, to come out of prison. They're able to come out of their sequestered state, from their constricted state, from their, uh, from their um, isolation. Okay. That's a general introduction to the idea of the emotions of the emotions, of the motions. And now we begin. So we come home, first thing. So what I'm, this class is really based on some ideas are purely straight out of the Hasidic books. Some ideas were just my observations. Um, I, you know, just, I, I hope they're gleaned primarily, obviously, from Hasidus because that's what I, I, I learn all the time and teaching it. So the concepts definitely relate to Hasidus. I generally I don't like the teacher of my own, but this was just some thoughts that I came to my head as I was preparing Shabbos' class. So the first idea which I thought of, which is very important, is the fact that when we're coming home, we realize that there's something very unique, Pesach, by the Passover Seder, which is different than the, the, all the other experiences throughout our calendar. Our, most of the Jewish experiences, we experience like the, the highlights, the most intense moments, we experience them all with community, together with, with, in, a, in a communal setting, most of the time in shul, in synagogue. We go to shul, and um, over there is where we have the main experiences. Let's take the beginning of the year, Rosh Hashanah. Although Rosh Hashanah we have, we eat meals, and we dip the apple in the honey and all of that, but that's not the main Rosh Hashanah. The main Rosh Hashanah is in shul. It's the blowing of the shofar. That's the, the, the highlight. That's the pinnacle of the day. We're all standing together, shoulder to shoulder, whether it's a small minion of 10 people, whether it's a large minion of 100, 200, 500, 1,000, 5,000. But it's in a communal setting. You're together with others. And together as a community, we are crowning God as a king. We're blowing the shofar. We're opening our hearts to the deepest spiritual point of our essence. And then we move from Rosh Hashanah, we move to Yom Kippur. Same thing, we spend the entire day of Yom Kippur the solemn but elevated, deep, uh, high-level connection to God. We do it together as a community in shul. Kol Nidre, if we're taking out the Torah, it's all experienced, the whole entire uh, spiritual, or if you say religious experience, is in the, is in the together with, with everybody together. And even Sukkot, which is a celebratory, a, a, a great celebration after Yom Kippur, it, everybody goes home to their own sukkah and so on and so forth. But here as well, we come sh- during the daytime, we all come to shul. That's when we shake the lulav and the esrog all together at the halil. And more than all of that, the, the, uh, the simchas uh, beisoshueva, the joyous, the yomtev of joy, we gather together to dance together, the communities to sing together, and the real um, highlight again of Sukkot is the conclusion of Sukkot, which is Shmini Atzeres in which we do the circles, the dancing, the Akafos and the Shul. And again, it's not a private affair; it's not a private uh, uh, experience in your own home. It's together with everybody else. Purim is the same. Again, we come together. We read the Megillah. Hanukkah is pretty much 
an individual family-to-family holiday. But the one that is really, really emphasizes the family and your own home is Passover, is Pesach. So from all the times of the year, and even Shavuot, Shavuot, where we get the Torah, just like the first time when we received the Torah, it was everybody together. The entire nation stood together at the foot at, at, of Mount Sinai, and God gave the Torah to all the Jewish people as a community. Even though he spoke to everybody individually, as the Midrash tells us, but still we stood shoulder to shoulder. And that's our experience of Shavuos as well. We come to Shul, we hear the, the reading of the Ten Commandments, that in we're up all night studying Torah, again together with the community. Pesach is very different, both in its original form and also in our experiences. First of all, we all don't, I mean, even though there are communal seders for people who, whatever reason, would not be able to have, can't make their own seder or whatever, so they get invited to community seders. And there are those very, very special people that dedicate themselves to expand their seders and to invite tens and sometimes hundreds, make huge seders, which is a very, very big mitzvah because you're enabling many people who otherwise would not have a seder. But that is not the original setting of a seder. The original setting of a seder is family by family. doesn't mean, I mean, of course, on Yom Tov especially, one should have guests, but it's still more of a minimal thing. It's a family affair. People are getting together in the homes, and it's not just the way it is now. That's the way we celebrated it the first time. When God came to Egypt to take us out of Mitzrayim, the Jews were told everybody, they weren't gathered together in one place. That happened later in the night. But the main event, they were told that every family should take their own lamb and they should, and if they just, if they don't, they can't eat enough, they should, they should, they should uh, partner up with another family at max two families or so. And they should all stay in their homes, everybody in their own house and put the blood on the, on the lentil and on the two uh, side posts of the door. And they must eat it inside their house so much so they weren't allowed to leave their homes. And we know that that's a rule in the Paschal lamb, in the Karban Pesach, there is a rule, there is a halacha, that you're not allowed to go out of your chabura. Chabura means your designated group. Whoever designated, you have to sign up for a, for a Karban Pesach. You have to belong to an individual group. I would say probably 10 people were on a group, maybe 15 people, depending how much they would eat. And that was it. And the law is you may not leave. Everybody has to stay. If you take, the, you take from the meat outside of the group, it's considered a violation. And how allowed to do that? So if that's the case, we see so clearly that Pesach is so individual. We're at our homes with our families, which I think, the, 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 the message over here is that since Pesach is our birth, you're not born together with the community. Being born is a very private thing. Being born is being born, you're being born in your home. Your mother, your father, your mother is there giving birth and just the closest people of the family. We are being born as a people and God is, or let's look at it as the exodus meaning as Hashem coming to take us out of Egypt, out of slavery, it wasn't the community. It was every single person as an individual. 
God came to every house and knocked on the door and said, I am here to redeem you. That's what's so amazing about it. It's so personalized. It's so individual. And the verse says, he leaped over every Jewish home from amongst the Egyptian homes. He, he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he speared every single person individually from the plague of the firstborn. It was a selection person by person, every single person. It says so it's going to be regarding the future redemption as well. That Hashem is going to look to echad, echad, that God is going to stick his hand out to take, to retrieve every single person individually and take them out of exile. This is that first notion, which is a feeling of such a personal, deep, individual connection to Hashem. This is very, very unique and very special. The second thought that um, one should have or could have as an inspiring thought at the beginning of the Seder, again, what we're trying to do now before we get into the specifics of things that happen during the Seder, let's get an overall sense of what, 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 is, the, what is the uniqueness of the overall experience. But the second thing that is really special is that when, when we know that the entire Seder is a, is a divine, is a godly experience, which means it's not just a meal. A regular meal, it's always a mitzvah to have a meal on Shabbos and on Yom Tif, on holidays. It's a mitzvah to eat a festive meal. But it's not particularly a divine program. We, mystically, we know, we invite Hashem to every one of these meals. We sanctify by saying Kiddush. And then there is a special mystical statement, those who follow the mystical tradition and say something from the Holy Arizal, in which we say exactly which level of the divine we are calling forth to participate in this meal. So in every meal, you know that there is a, a holy meal. You know that there is a, a holy presence. It's not just what is visible at the table, but there is also what is not visible. And on Sukkot, we know we have the special tzaddikim, the ushpizin, special guests, souls of the highest, of the great patriarchs, the earliest, greatest giants, spiritual giants come and accompany us. All true. But Passover and Pesach is unique. The entire meal, the entire menu is made by God. I mean, there is some space for individual cooking. And that is by one part, one of the 15 things of the Seder program is Shulchan Orech. Where Shulchan Orech is eat and drink and have, have a nice time. Which of course every every uh, every house is different based on what is the uh, what is the traditions of that home of what of what are the Pesach foods and the like Ashkenazim very different than Sephardim and the like depending where you're coming from and that will be quite different uh, but everything else in the seder is the whole program who wrote the program God wrote the program meaning the sages figured it out taken from the Torah. What should be the program? What do we do first? What do we do second? What do we eat then? What do we eat next? The whole thing. And actually the menu as well, besides for the Shulchan Aruch, is God's menu. He tells us to eat the matzah and then the bitter herbs and to dip the vegetable and all that. So once you realize that, there is an amazing idea, a thought of like, you sh one should have an a, a, a sense that this is so elevated. We're going to participate in something that is that is divine, that is godly, and that has 
boundless and infinite significance. Although we are going to be doing a very physical act, we are going to be doing a very human act, we're going to be eating food. It's a meal. So we're going to be eating. And eating is not, it's one of the things the sages say that the human being is more like an animal. Three things the sages say a human being is like an angel. And three things a person is like an animal. And eating and drinking is from the lower things. So we're going to be eating food. Yet the very eating of the food is, 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 is a divine feast. And therefore every part of it, whether it's the four cups of wine, or whether it's the matzah that we're eating, whether it's the dipping of the vegetable, the karpas at the beginning of the meal, or the bitter herbs that we eat, or the sandwich that we make, the korach sandwich, um, which is the matzah and the bitter herbs together, the entire um, um, experience has, is, is of God's, is of God's, is a mitzvah. And if it's a mitzvah, it has divine content. And therefore, it is infinite. It is, it, is, it, is, it is beyond. So, obviously, we as human beings can only, you know, as being limited in, in our consciousness from our human side. We have a, a, a spark of the divine inside of us that tunes in subconsciously to the infinity of it. But consciously, on the human level, with our human capacity, we will attribute a certain significance to every part of the Seder based on how much we prepared, based on what we know, based on how much our knowledge is. So if you're having a special Agada in front of you that has nice um, um, insights and every person has different things that they, that they find uh, that speak to them, some people like to stick very much to the halachic uh, discussion and significance of every part of the Seder. Some people like to ele elevate things to a, a higher plane of homolytic explanation, and others like to go into the mystical interpretation of things, the Hasidic interpretations of things. So you go deeper and deeper, but obviously it's all limited. How much we can appreciate the eating of the matzah, what our thoughts and what our consciousness can be by the drinking of the cups of wine. But by, if we have in mind that what I am doing right now has infinitely more significance than what I will ever, ever know, and I'm engaging in something that is, that is, that is, this is God's program with all of the boundlessness of God. That's so elevated. So the moment you're stepping out to the Seder, you're entering into the divine zone. You're leaving the time and space existence. You're entering into infinity, into boundlessness. And every move, every movement we do on our Seder table we move this over here and move that if it's what we're supposed to be doing, we're breaking the matzah, is literally having cosmic significance and even beyond the, 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 the universe because it's, it's tapping the divine energies, the infinite divine energy. Or to put it this way, what does God see in the matzah? What does God see in the four cups of wine? There's our Haggadah. What does God have written in his Haggadah that he is reading? Or when God says, you know, the four cups of wine are corresponding to the four languages of redemption. I will take you out. I will save you. I will redeem you. And I will take you. These are four descriptions 
of of freedom, of of uh, of that that God expressed when He said He's going to take us out of Egypt. He says in Parshas Va'era, the second Torah portion in, in in Exodus. So each one of these, how much does what did God mean, and what's the significance to God when He says, "I will take you out from the workload of Egypt"? Do you think it only means? Do we think it only means the bricks and the mortar? Or perhaps there is layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of meaning. What does it mean when God says, I will take you to me as a people? How much does it mean in, in, in its original statement? Not our tiny sliver of how we understand it. Or to bring it a little closer to us, we might see it this way. You know, what did Reb Shimon Yochai? When he sat down to his Seder, the author of the Zohar, what did he see on his Seder? What did it mean to him, these cups of wine? What did the matzah mean to him when he ate that Zayas matzah, that, that, that uh, olive size of the matzah that we're supposed to eat? What did it mean to him dipping the vegetable? What did it mean to Reb Shimon Bayochai's teacher, Rabbi Akiva, with all the infinite knowledge that he had? What did it mean to the Holy Ari 500 years ago in Tzfat, who was the master Kabbalist who knew all the secrets of secrets of secrets. What did it mean to the Holy Baal Shem Tov? What did it mean to the Rav Shneir Zalman of the Yadi, the Alter Rebbe with his vast mind? What did it mean to all the great Hasidic rabbis? Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, how much emotion did it have to Rebbe Levi Yitzchak or Bardichev, to the other great uh, Tzadikim? The boundlessness, the endlessness, the chasam sofra, what did he think in his, what did he see on a Seder plate? What did he see all these, or Shmuel Anavi, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, what did they see in their Seder plate? And what did the Lubavitcher Rebbe see when he ate his, his matzah, his mar? We all know much more than we, much more than we can ever imagine. Yet, it's the same matzah. Same four cups of wine. Meaning, you know, when they ate a, 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 a piece of celery or, or a piece of potato or uh, whatever it was that they took, it's the same, it's the same um, 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 vegetable that bo- is bought in the market. You bought it in that market, you bought it in your market. The same thing. And it has the same significance. In essence, from God's perspective, it's the same, it's the same mitzvah. It's God's commandment that has all of God's meaning. So at that moment, we're just awed. We're awed by the enormity of what we're going to take part of, which is spectacular. And that itself should elevate our spirits to such a high level. So first of all, we recognize that the whole experience is so personal. God is not taking us out. Hashem is coming to my Seder. He's knocking on my door to me and my family. And he's going to ask us all here, come with me. We're going out of Egypt tonight. I'm taking you out of all constrictions. I'm taking you out of all limitations. And come participate in the program that I have written. I've, I've, I've made it. It's like you go to a dinner and it gives you a program. What's going to happen first? What's going to happen second? At this time, this is happening. And, and then there's going to be the, the, the opening remarks. And then there is going to be this performance. And then there's going to be the main, main dish. and that. But in our case, God is the one who puts that down. In your Agada, Hashem is the one who sets the program in front of you. And he gives you all the menu of what you're going to go through. And everything is highly particularized under his watch, under his 
explicit um, direction of how everything should be prepared with his infinite wisdom. Exactly how, what, where, and when. That is so awesome. And now, whatever we're going to feel in it, whatever we're going to experience in it, is great. But the sense that this is so much bigger than us should accompany us the entire state. And now number three. What is the general sense? Okay, so we have many experiences of connecting to God throughout the year. And Rosh Hashanah is different than Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is different than Sukkot. And Hanukkah is different than Purim. And every Shabbos is a different Shabbos. And every month is a different experience. So what is the Pesach? What is the unique experience of the Seder night? So we know that the three pilgrimage, the three biblical holidays, the three holidays, Pesach, Shulis, and Sukkot, are compared or stem or relate to the three fathers, the three patriarchs of the Jewish people. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Um, so the first one, Pesach, is related to Avram. Now Avram is the is the embodiment of divine kindness. So Pesach and the Seder experience is an experience of God's kindness. The boundless, endless kindness of God. The other holidays, holiday of all the other things. Pesach is kindness. And the and the, the soul of kindness is love. So the awesome experience of Pesach by night is that we are now entering into a room and into an environment and into a space that is flowing with the boundlessness and the infinity of God's or the boundlessness of Hashem's love. The limitless love of God is filling the entire Seder experience, the room, every every nuance, every place. Within the Seder, there are so many parts, so many different energies. There's the bitter herbs, which is an element of Gevura. There's other, and we know in the Seder place, according to Kabbalah, you have all the Sephirot and all the attributes. But what is the general context? The general context is love. Hashem's love. So this is a, 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 a little meditation. As you're entering your Seder, think about just stop for a moment and breathe in the love. Just feel Hashem is the love. And the love and kindness means that God is not doing it based on anything. Which means it's not conditioned on any deservance. Many times we beat ourselves up. We want to, we, we feel guilty. We feel down. We feel we made mistakes. We're ashamed of ourselves. We feel uncomfortable. We know maybe that even a day before Pesach or maybe even an hour before Pesach or maybe even a minute before Pesach or even on the way home from Shul coming to the Seder we had not the holiest of thoughts or we were not so pure and not so holy or we got angry for whatever reason during our Pesach preparation and we got angry at our spouse. We yelled at our wife or wife yelled at our husband and we feel, we regret it. We feel yucked out. We feel upset about it. We got angry at our children or we, or, or where we disrespected someone or whatever it was. And we feel bad about it. Maybe we apologize, which we should. But then we don't feel good. 
or whatever it is. We just we know that we 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 could have made good preparation for Pesach and we didn't. Whatever it is, whatever a person's hangups can be, and and feeling undeserving and feeling inadequate in what is the word inadequate to come into a seder, to be part of the seder experience, to deserve all these spiritual energies, to deserve this great experience, and the answer to that is that it's all irrelevant. Pesach, it's irrelevant because Pesach, God is not looking at anything. He is being kind out of his own love. The whole idea of the going out of Egypt is the Jewish people didn't deserve a thing. It wasn't based on their deserving. It was based on God's commitment and God's love to them. He loved them just because he has an infinite capacity to love. And on Pesach, God turns on that he, he turns on the love faucet. <laughs> he, he opens up his, his, his channel of love. And if anybody can love, think about the most loving being in the world. Somebody who just loves, 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 loves. And has such an amazing... And think about that loving being, loving the thing that is the most lovable. <laughs> so you have the, the person or the being with the greatest capacity to love loving the thing that is most lovable, the thing that's most dear to him. I'll give a nice example for that. Abraham loving Isaac. Isaac is a youth tzaddik, and Abraham is the master of love. As great as that love is, it's still limited because it's still an Abraham and it's still an Isaac. And God is infinite, and his love is boundless. And on Pesach by night and Passover by night, it's the time, it's the time. God's love is always accompanying us all the time. But other times, it is mixed with other attributes of God that are just as powerful. Or maybe God intentionally lessened their power so they shouldn't overpower the love. We know Chesed always has an edge over the others than God. That his love is, is, God even prays a prayer that his compassion and his love should overpower his discipline or his anger. But tonight, everything else is shut down. All there is is pure unadulterated, unfiltered, unlimited love. There is such a powerful, powerful love and mercy, but primarily love to every single one of us. And again, it's not to the community, not to the Jewish people, it's to me, me. Of course, it's to everybody, because everybody is that me. It's to me, my family. When you sense that and you stop and you feel that, you can also feel tremendous love to everybody that's at your table. Because the, 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 the energy, the love is so palpable. If God's love is turned on like that, it should awaken in our hearts this love. Love to Hashem and to love to everything godly. There is a spark of God in each and every one of us. So at this moment, love everybody at the table. Love everybody who joined your Savior with an unconditional love. Take a moment to think about it. How much you love everybody that's there. How much you're connecting. How much you're all one. And in what deep love you have to Hashem. And Hashem has to all of us. Now we're ready to start to say that. It's personal. It is enormous. It is godly. And it is boundlessly. It is endless love. It is beautiful. So now we can start already with the individual part. So the first thing is we make Kiddush. We pour the cup of wine and we make Kiddush. 
and the beautiful idea of being, making Kiddush right up in, up in front is that Kiddush means to sanctify. And God sanctifies us. Now the sanctification, as it's explained in Hasidus, sanctification Kiddush, also from the word Kiddushin, as we're doing a mitzvah. When we're making Kiddush, we are immediately going to drink, in addition to Kiddush itself being a mitzvah. But on Pesach by night, it's one of the four cups of wine, which is a mitzvah to drink four cups of wine. And a mitzvah means a bonding. So we're bonding with God. But what, what, is the, what, is the, what kind of bonding is it? In what sense? A master bonds with his servant. Right? A father bonds with a child. A teacher bonds with their student. Friends bond with each other. What kind of a, 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 flock, a, a, a shepherd bonds with his flock? What kind of bonding is taking place through this mitzvah? Many levels. But on Pesach by night, it is God sanctifying us as a husband is giving a, a ring to his wife at the, under, the mar- under the marriage canopy, under the chuppah. Why? Was the going out of the Egypt was the, the beginning of God taking us to Sinai and getting married to us. So as soon as we're doing the mitzvah, and that was the whole point of mitzvahs. And when we do a mitzvah, we say, Asher Kedishanu, including by Kiddush. We say, Asher Kedishanu. The deeper meaning, Asher Kedishanu, is not just you sanctified us, but you have betrothed us. Now what happens to a wife when her husband betrothes her? She becomes unified with him She's able to have intimacy with him like no other person in the world, which means her and his body will become one. That's the purpose of the marriage, as the Torah says, they should become one flesh. It will be manifest in their intimacy. So the amazing thing that's happening at the Seder, already when we're making Kiddush, is because it's a night of unquestionable and unfiltered love coming from God, un Uh, kindness without any expectation. It's just a pure flow of boundless and infinite kindness that it manifests in the fact that instantly before you even started doing any purifications and purging because there's certain parts of the Seder in which we're cleansing. The marah, the bitterness is a form of tshuva. The orchats, the washing of the hands right after the Kiddush is a form of washing away the, 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 the the not good things off of our soul that has gotten stuck on us. So there will be all those things. But you would imagine, go shower first, go get ready first, go prepare yourself first, go get dressed in your royal gown, come back here in a couple of hours, shining with your hair made up, looking like an, an, a, a divine angel, and now you're ready to be married to God, to be God's bride. Not on Pesach. Pesach, God is so crazy, madly in love with us, that we don't even get... We just walk through the door and he's already throwing the ring on our finger. That's it. Instantly, he grabs us as we are under the chuppah. Before we've done anything else, Kaddish, we're already in a state of abs- in, in pure oneness with him. Mad. Because that's the power of Pesach. Pesach means, Passover means to leap. God leaped and Pesach Hashem enables us to leap. We leap in one instant from the 49 or 50th gate of impurity to the 50th gate of holiness. It happens instant. That's why the Holy Arizal, I forgot to mention this, says that Pesach by night, we spoke about feeling special, 
private connection to God, feeling elevated, feeling love. But the Arizal says we're supposed to enter the Seder. We can understand now some meditations to help us get to this place with enormous joy. This is so amazing. And the joy is, wow. The revelation on Pesach happens instantly. It doesn't reckon at all with what we're ready for, how much we've prepared in a snap, literally in a snap of a finger. We have reached the pinnacle of oneness with God. We're in a state of unity. We're in a state of... Now, then Hashem will put us back into a place where we can do the work so that we should feel that we have done something. Or else, we always feel uncomfortable when we're gifted with a gift. But the gift does happen, Pesach, Pesach instant. All right. Now let's talk a little bit about, I'm not going to go through the whole Seder, but let's talk about the four cups of wine, the significance of the four. So we made Kiddush, and we're drinking the first cup. So what's a good thought to be thinking while you're drinking the first cup? And, and even though there are stuff in, the, in between, let's, in order to keep the flow and keep the connection, we're going to go through for a couple of moments the four cups of wine and what one can meditate on by each drinking, of, by each one of the cups, what would be a good meditation? So we spoke, we mentioned earlier that our four expressions of freedom, of liberation. I will take you out from the load of Egypt. And I will save you from their servitude. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And then finally, and I will take you to me for a people. Okay. So these were four expressions and corresponding to these four expressions in thanks to God these four expressions of enormous love, of promises of redemption, we thank Hashem, which the promises came, He came through for us. We thank God by praising Him with these four cups of wine. So we're supposed to take the full the cup, supposed to be filled to the top, and gulp it down in one shot, all the way, bottoms up. You're supposed to finish the glut. That's the best way of doing. It. Uh, you can get a, you can, you know, second or not the best way, 